Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and joining me on today's episode we're going to be talking to the movie director Ted Gagan. Now this guy is responsible for bringing me one of the best horror films I've seen in the last five years. We are still here. Now if at this point you're going, I've not heard of that or I I haven't seen that film, stop the episode, go and get it and watch it because it's one of the best love letters to the 70s horror genre out there and it absolutely blew me away. And then when I did some studying into the film and found out that this was Ted's debut, it blew my mind. So I'm absolutely thrilled that he's joining me on today's episode. As always, in true Mark and Me fashion, I just want to talk a little bit about the last episode before we get to Ted's interview today. So on the last episode, I was joined by Steve Wiebe, the Donkey Kong absolute legend himself from the documentary King of Kong. The response was absolutely fantastic. Everyone was loving the interview and I want to say thanks to everyone that tuned in. He read all the comments. I've seen so many tweets, so many comments on Instagram and Facebook, and I received a lot of emails. And yes, it is now my duty to try and complete this special with hopefully getting an interview with Billy Mitchell. So stay tuned for that. But as I said at the start, today I'm joined by Ted Gagan, and this guy's responsible for such an incredible debut. It really is up there as one of the best debuts I've seen. But also recently he's released a film called Mohawk, which is a great follow-up and a completely different film. Different kind of feel, but it's absolutely outstanding. And I think this guy has such a big, huge future ahead of him. So really, I just want to get straight to the interview today, because it's a real good one and really in-depth. So... Without further ado, here's my interview with me and Ted. So thank you for joining me today. What my first question was is, at what age did you want to be a filmmaker? Was it really, really young or was it only later on in life? You know, I have always wanted to be a writer. And um, I I actually started out as a screenwriter. Um, The majority of my career has actually been as, as a screenwriter. My first produced screenplay was in 2001. And I've been working pretty consistently as a writer ever since. But... It was uh, it was only four years ago now, I, I suppose maybe close to five years ago, that uh, I had uh, written the screenplay to We Are Still Here, and after, I guess, a little over a dozen years of being a screenwriter and um, not directing, I finally had the uh, I finally had the desire to actually helm one of my own scripts and. Um, the idea really excited me mainly because on um, on previous films, I you know I'd written good scripts that had occasionally been turned into good movies, and um, the director of course gets all the credit, and occasionally turned into very bad movies, and um, the screenwriter gets all the blame. So I figured um, I would uh, I would direct one, and uh, I would take the full credit for it. It's quite a big step to obviously jump up to direct a film. Um, Was there anyone that influenced you when you were growing up? Did you have any kind of directors that you absolutely worship? Honestly, I'm a bigger fan of genres than I am of directors. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of messages in films, um, as well as popcorn cinema. But um, I'd say if I had to pick directors that that influenced me or at least got me interested, um, uh, I would probably say George Romero. Um, I feel like uh, the the socio political commentary in Romero's films it really resonated with me at a, a very young age, and 
to me that was that was very exciting um, to be able to understand the message in his films so early on and um, to be excited about the fact that you know it was a, a filmmaker who was telling these really cool stories about zombies and monsters and all of this but doing it through the lens of how this extremely left-leaning man viewed the United States at the time. And um, I knew that that was something that I wanted to be a part of. I, I knew that not only did we have similar politics, but I knew that if I was going to create art, I wanted to create art that did something similar to that. So you just mentioned your debut, uh, the 2015 film We Are Still Here. You were talking about how you kind of wanted to then step from just doing the screenplay and the writing to actually directing. How did that actually become reality? Because it's it's a big project to kind of do everything yourself, right? You know, f- from the from the off, it's quite a big thing to kind of get your teeth stuck into. Certainly. Um, well, I had, um, I had, like I mentioned, I had been a writer for a very long time, yeah. and um, I had made a lot of connections in the film industry. Um, when I moved to New York, uh, roughly ten years ago. Um, I, I didn't really know how to get my, get my feet wet. Um, I didn't really know how to get my foot in the door. Um, I had written, I had written a handful of films, but I had written them all from rural Montana where I was living at the time. Um, and I, I was going from being a very big fish in a small pond to being a tiny fish in an enormous pond. And, um, so when I moved to New York, um, I, I started asking around. I said, you know, I, I really want to be involved in film. I've written some screenplays. You know, what can I do? And someone suggested, they said, well, you know, one of the one of the classic starter gigs in film is publicity. You know, like, like why don't you look into becoming a publicist? You like to talk. You're good at selling things. And I thought, oh, you know, I've, I've been a screenwriter for so long. To be a publicist, that sounds so awkward and strange. But... Lo and behold, I ended up getting a, uh, a job as a publicist um, for Adam Yauch, uh, uh, MCA, uh, the late member of the Beastie Boys and the founder of the company Oscilloscope Laboratories, um, which is a wonderful film distribution label here in the States. Um, so I became his publicist, and um, it, it helped open up a lot of doors, work, working with MCA, working with the team over at Oscilloscope. And um, once I left Oscilloscope, um, I realized that publicity is is a really wonderful way to meet people because you you'd spend all day long just being in touch with folks. Um, and I um, I founded my own PR firm, which I still run to this day. My my day job is um, as a publicist, and I you know just started picking up clients left and right. One of those clients that I picked up. Um, happened to be Dark Sky Films, um, and I was the publicist on their film Hatchet 3 and Frankenstein's Army and Here Comes the Devil. Um, and o- over time, working on those films, I, I got to know Greg Newman, um, who runs Dark Sky, um, and I also got to know Travis Stevens, um, who runs Snowfort Pictures. Um, I had done publicity for Travis on his um, film Cheap Thrills, and... Um, Having met both of them and really, you know, become friends with both of them, um, I approached Travis with this script for We Are Still Here, and I said, you know, I realize you know me as a publicist, but I've been a screenwriter for a long time, and I, I want to make the jump. Are you at all interested in um, working with me on this? And 
Travis was very excited about it. He brought it to Greg, who I already had a relationship with. And, um, you know, they, they took a chance on a first-time director. And um, I'm very, very grateful that the film uh, was a hit for them. The thing is with a debut film, you know, if you look back at some of the big directors out there now, they always kind of have this kind of cheap independent feel. You know, if you look at Kevin Smith with Clerks, it was done on a budget of his comic book sales and stuff. The look of your debut is not usually the kind of the the, the standard you'd expect from a first time filmmaker. It it looks so well done and so well produced and a very high budget film. You must have been blown away when you got to see it back. Um, you know, it's I, I feel like as as a filmmaker with any film, you're blown away later during the process during creating the film. You know, every day you're you're scared. You d- you don't think things look right. You think everything is off. You know, it's you don't realize that you have a beautiful child until someone else comes in and says exactly that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm I'm extremely grateful that the film turned out as well as it did. I I actually I I'm grateful that I can take some of the credit for that, but. Really, I, I just had the most amazing team on that film. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, Travis, my producer, is absolutely incredible. But uh, my cinematographer, Kareem Hussein, um, who also shot my my newer film, Mohawk, um, you know, I, I think is one of one of the finest uh, cinematographers in the world, and I, I felt very, very, very humbled to be able to work with him because his his eye really helped create a film that I think looks much bigger than it actually was. I think modern day horror is such a weird genre now because you kind of there's so much of it every week there's a a new title out and I believe that a true classic horror to actually produce nowadays you know look at Blair Witch look at the Babadook I put we are still here up there with them I think it's such an original concept it's so well made thank you, you so much you must have been overwhelmed with the response because Everyone I know has seen it. You know, it's a film that everybody loves. It's not one of those films that people just says, uh, I don't know what you're on about, or I think I've seen it. Everyone remembers it because it's such a well-done, original, fresh film. And I think you must have been absolutely ecstatic with the response online and the critics. It got some really good glowing reviews. Yeah, we were we were very lucky when it came to reviews. Um, you know, I, I I'm grateful that so many critics that I work with on a daily basis as a publicist were willing to take a look at a film that I made. And um, I'm, I'm so happy that they responded so strongly to it. Um, I was a bit overwhelmed by how well it did on Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. It's, um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of humbly aware of the fact that it's one of the, I guess, highest rated horror films on there. Um, and that's that's amazing. You know, I, I never in a million years thought that, you know, our little creepy movie would, um, you know, touch so many people. But uh, I'm extremely grateful that it did. It was um, it was a lot of hard work. Um, but, you know, the uh, the end result, I think, is, yeah, it's, it's quite a beautiful movie. I'm I'm glad that you and others think it's original. Um I'm always surprised when younger horror fans like it because I made it for older horror fans. Um, And I think that that really is, it really is a testament to the fact that we, we shouldn't underestimate what the younger horror audiences like. Um, It doesn't have to be filled with young, sexy kids. Um, You know, you can actually have 
a slow burn horror film about adults dealing with loss and 16, 17, 18 year old kids will go out and watch it and love it. And I think that's amazing because that's what I was doing when I was a kid. The horror films I watched growing up were like The Changeling starring George C. Scott. You know, it's like I'm watching these movies, you know, starring people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And it never occurred to me that those films weren't for me because they were. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do more of that. Um, I'm really excited about the idea of always working with older actors and actresses. Um, I, I think they bring so much to film. And there's, there's so many people out there who have been forgotten or, you know, have trouble getting roles now. And they're just amazing, amazing people. And I, I want to see more of them in film. One of your most recent releases, I was lucky enough to see it this week, was Mohawk. Uh, a completely different feel and completely different film for you. Um, for me, I don't think you'd think it's from the same filmmaker. I think it's such a different look and concept and feel. Where did this idea come from for Mohawk? Well, after We Are Still Here, um, I wanted to make something that I felt would be a more important film. Um, we Are Still Here is a movie, like I said, that's a love letter to the films that I grew up watching. But given um, given the state of the United States and the world right now, I knew that whatever else I did next needed to have more of a message. It really needed to... It, it needed to have the urgency that I deal with every day in my life embedded in it. And... Um, this idea had been mulling around in my brain for years and years, uh, the story of, of a young woman of color, um, someone who had been, her and her people had been horribly marginalized, and she was being hunted down by a group of scared, angry white men. Um, I, I wanted to be able to try to tell a story that not only was about the decimation of these people, but also, sadly, about my own ancestors, the, the white men who came into the U.S. and claimed it for their own. Um, so it, um, you know, it, it, it came from a personal place, but um, as I started writing it with uh, Grady Hendrix, my, my co-writer, um, we started realizing just how timely it was. Um, we wrote it during the uh, the Trump campaign, and uh, we we filmed it during that time as well. And even on set, we kept saying, "Oh, we're we're making a movie for Trump's America," never actually expecting that to become a reality. Um, so s sadly, I, I think we have a film now that, while not a straight horror film by any stretch of the imagination, it is a deeply horrific story that I hope resonates with a lot of people. Um, you know, it's, it's a movie about our, our forefathers and the horrible things they did to create this country and how those things are still unfortunately alive and well today. Um, I, I truly believe that the events featured in Mohawk could be repurposed word for word and set in 2018, and you wouldn't have to change pretty much anything in the movie. Um, sadly, the, you know, these these same scared white men are still out there, and they're still causing trouble for a lot of marginalized people. And um, that's essentially what we wanted to make a film about. And um, I'm 
I'm very, very proud of the movie. Um, I realize that it's it's a wild difference from We Are Still Here, and I definitely expect it to surprise a lot of people. But I also hope that it really sparks a lot of conversations with people um, and really, I know, I, I, I hope it inspires people to learn more about the indigenous people, where they're from, and maybe learn a little bit about what these people have gone through and are still going through to this day. One of the things I found that really kind of took my breath away was the performance from the wrestler, Luke Harper. Take this with full respect. When you see a wrestler involved in any film, usually you kind of think, oh, okay. This guy is absolutely phenomenal in this film. His acting ability is something now that I now want to see a lot more with him in because he was a, he was amazing. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, so... Um... Uh, Luke Harper, whose who's real name is Jonathan Huber, um, which is what we uh, we credit him as in the film. Yeah. Um, Jonathan came to us. Um, we had we had written the film, and um, you know I had this character in it, this this kind of hulking giant who, in a lot of ways, is, is the moral compass of the uh, the film's antagonists. Um, and we didn't know who we wanted for the role. We just knew that it had to be somebody huge and someone imposing, but also somebody who had the ability to to look weak and to look scared and to, to really be able to emote. Um, and I said, well, let's reach out to the WWE and see, you know, which wrestlers they have are available. And we got, we got the short list of wrestlers, and um, Jonathan was on that list. Um, he had uh, suffered a really traumatic knee injury a few months earlier and uh, was out in rehabilitation. So we um, we had a Skype call with him and I, I just immediately fell in love with his look and his, his, you know, his voice, which is massively underheard on the WWE. His character on the WWE typically is, is a man of very few words and I, I really relished in the idea of allowing him to speak and to hear this this tender voice come out of this giant beast of a man um and um we were all really blown away by him um you know on on day one he came up to me and he'd said i'm really nervous i've never acted before and i'm around all of these wonderful actors and i said you need to understand that you perform live on television twice a week in front of millions of people i said you are an actor you've got this and the other actors on set, um, especially Ezra Buzzington, um, who plays Holt, um, Robert Longstreet, who plays Beale, and Noah Segan, who plays Yancey, they all really kind of took Jonathan under their wing and, and talked to him and you know helped alleviate a lot of his concerns and fears. And, and I think it really shines through in the film, and you've got this very tender, very true performance um, and and I I also I'm I'm so glad that his performance resonated with you because I I also think it's it's a really beautiful role for him and um, I, I feel very lucky that he was able to communicate who that character was because he is an all too real character he's someone who knows what he's doing is wrong but he still goes along with it every step of the way like he's constantly asking his superiors should we be doing this? But as soon as his superiors say, punch that guy or shoot that guy, he does it. He doesn't even question whether he should do it. And it's this blind dedication toward these people that is how we ended up in the political situation the United States is in today. 
And that's the thing. You didn't really give him just a kind of a walk-on part. He's a big, huge character in this film. And like you said, yeah. he, he's he got a lot of um, parts to speak. And his voice is phenomenal. And like you said, he cuts promos in WWE as kind of a a dark character that you don't know much about. He just stares down the camera. And I'm hoping now WWE kind of give him a microphone a bit more because he's not used in the right way. And I think if he now moves into doing more films... I think people should take him seriously because there's a lot of wrestlers out there that just do stupid films and just get a big paycheck. But he put everything into this role, and to know that he was kind of nervous and still delivered that performance is—it's astonishing. Yeah, no, he's a—he's a real talent, and yeah, I, I wish him nothing but the best. He's—he's uh, become a dear friend um, through this production, and um, I, I think he, like like everyone who worked on this film, really learned a lot too. Um, you know, when when we wrapped up this movie and everyone saw it for the first time, Jonathan, like so many other people on this, said, "Wow, I, you know, it, to be able to watch this film and and understand what what these people went through, and understand what our what our forefathers did, it's like it really, you know, really shook him up and re- really woke him up to a lot of things. And I, I I think that's amazing, and I'm I'm glad that not only was it a pleasant experience working on the film." But it was also a revelatory experience in uh, you know what he learned from working on it. Now that you've got these two films under your belt, and they're very different, but you've had a lot of success, the reviews I've seen from Mohawk are coming through very, very strong. What are you thinking of doing next? Is there something that you kind of want to get your teeth into that's a complete different genre, where you want to step away and kind of try something new and be out of your comfort zone, or do you want to keep going with um, the horror? Um, I... I admit I I really do love horror. I, I think it would it would take a really incredible project to pull me out of genre filmmaking. Um, I'd always I, I'd like to couch my career in horror and and to a lesser extent science fiction and fantasy. Um, uh, that's really where my heart is, and it's really where my passions lie. Um, I I don't see myself moving away from it, but never say never. Um, I mean, I'm I'm covered in horror movie tattoos, you know. Like I'm, I, I've I've given my life to horror. Um, but uh, uh, up next, um, I, I do have a new project that's uh, percolating right now. Um, I can't say too much about it, other than um, it is it is a return to more traditional horror, um, more along the lines of "We Are Still Here." Excellent. Um, and like "We Are Still Here" in Mohawk, um, it's also a period piece. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, the present time, um, so I'm I'm very keen on whenever possible um, setting my projects in uh, in times either in the future or the past. Um, so uh, yeah, but it's um, it's something I'm really excited about. I've, I finished a first draft, um, and fingers crossed that I can move into some form of production later this year. Um, in the meantime, I've been writing several screenplays. Um, not to direct, but rather uh, projects for other filmmakers, which is, as I mentioned, what I've been doing for the past 17 years. So I've got a, I've got a few of those uh, cooking as well. So with the ability to um, be able to write so well and now direct, would you ever take on anyone else's work to try and direct or let someone else direct your work? I would direct something that someone else wrote if it really resonated with me. Um, I recently read a screenplay that um, was was I won't say offered to me, but I was uh, I was up for, and um, I really liked it a lot. And I thought to myself, upon reading it, if I end up getting this job, 
I would be really honored to direct this script. I, I thought it was really strong. Um, so I, I do think I do think that that's in the cards uh, for someday in the future. Um, given how busy I am right now between writing, um, trying to get my new film off the ground, and my day job that keeps a roof over my head, um, doing publicity, um, it, I do find it harder and harder to set aside the time to write a screenplay. Um, so unless something drastically changes and offers me a lot more time, um, I, I do think that there is, there is a possibility that I could direct something written by someone else at some point in the future. You've been in a position where you've been obviously writing, you've directing, uh, you've been a publicist, you've obviously done a lot of screen work. Is there something you kind of still want to get involved in? Is it now the point where you're content with what you're doing or is there something you really want to try that you've not even ever had the opportunity to do? Honestly, no. Um, This is, I I feel as though I've, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Um, I, I love directing, I love writing. Um, I, I want to stay in that realm, and I want to get better at it. I want to learn all of the tricks. I, I want to do this for a very long time and hopefully see improvement in every project that I do. Um, that said, um, you know, I, I did produce a number of films um, starting in, I guess, about 2006, I suppose. Um, and I, I liked producing, um, but I did not love it. Um, it was it was a headache, and I have the utmost respect for producers, given the amount of work that they are forced to do on a daily basis, so that directors can make their films. Um, so I definitely don't have a continuing desire to put on the producer's hat. Um, and I've also appeared in a number of films, usually in very small roles. I, I pop up in Hatchet Three and. Sharknado 2 and all sorts of silly sequels and I I also have the utmost respect for actors and um, while I've been told that I have a lovely speaking voice, I um, know for a fact that I am no actor um, so unlike a lot of uh, writers directors out there today, especially working in the, uh, the horror scene um, I don't really have a desire to act So <laughs> I didn't realize you were in Sharknado. I'd read a few of them, but that must have been a wacky experience. Yeah, I, po- I popped up in the second one for a few scenes. Um, yeah, pre- pretty pretty ridiculous. It bl- blink and you miss me, but um, I had just finished filming We Are Still Here and had came- come back to New York, and literally the next day, um, Anthony Ferrante, the director of Sharknado, um, reached out to me. Uh, we've known each other for a few years, and he said, Hey, man. You know, we're, we're shooting a scene at, at, out at the Mets uh, City Field, the uh, baseball stadium. He said, do you want to come out and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll feature you pretty prominently in all the scenes out there. And I said, I said, oh, I just got back from directing my first movie. I'm emotionally exhausted. And I, I mentioned this to my father-in-law and his eyes got as big as dinner plates. And he was like, oh, my God, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. Can I come? Can I come? And I thought... I, I cannot deprive my father-in-law of the fun opportunity of the two of us being in Sharknado 2 together. So we we agreed to do it, went out there for the day. It was freezing cold. It literally was as cold as it was when we made We Are Still Here. And, um, yeah, we, we spent a day out there on set, and it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. But like I said, 
I'm just, I'm not an actor. I have too much respect for actual actors to try to fake what they do. Now that you've got a good couple of movies under your belt, has it kind of been, what's the the biggest lesson that you've learned now you've took on the role of a director? Because obviously when you're writing for directors and being the, the screenwriter, that's very different to actually being hands-on. Is there something that you've, has really opened your eyes up about the business or something since you've took on that job? Well, um, I, I've definitely learned that you're never the smartest man in the room. And I think that's such an important thing for every single person on a film set to know. And I do not mean just the director, but you are never the smartest person in the room. There's always someone in that room who knows more than you about whatever it is you're talking about. And I think it's important to not be cocky. It's to not be the person who knows exactly what's up. I think collaboration is so incredibly important. I never would have been able to make We Are Still Here or Mohawk without the collaboration of my peers, of of Travis, of Kareem, of my amazing special effects team, Marcus and Kat. These people, they're, they're amazing, amazing technicians and artists and experts, and they know more than I do. And it's my job to keep everything moving smoothly. It's, it's literally the, the captain of the ship. The captain might not have any clue how the radar works or the sonar or how the propellers move the ship forward, but there are all of these other amazingly talented people who do, and it's the captain's job to make sure that everyone's mo- working together to keep the ship moving forward. And... It was a very humbling experience on both films to shut up and let someone else explain to me how something worked. And then I got to make the executive decision whether or not to use that information. Um, and I, I just I hope it's something that other directors have also discovered um, while working because uh, I, I think it makes film sets a lot more enjoyable when the the captain of the ship is open to everyone's input because I, I believe that's truly how you make, make a great film. I think that's amazing advice for anyone that's thinking of making a film or getting involved in acting or directing or even producing. Like, let others also have a big part because you're not going to be the know-it-all who knows everything, are you? You will not. <laughs> It sounds like you've had a really good run so far. I love the two films that you've released under your own company and obviously you've wrote and you've directed. I think the future's looking really, really exciting for you. You've kind of teased me a little bit to say that there's another horror coming, so I'm I'm wishing you all the luck with that and I hope it's uh, not too long until we see some news about that. I also hope the same. Uh, fingers crossed we can uh, get that baby moving forward. So there's my interview with me and Ted, and as I said right at the start, I think this guy has a huge future ahead of him. He's an amazing writer, he's an amazing director, he's got such a big, big future ahead, and I think he's definitely someone to watch. And to have We Are Still Here and Mohawk already under his belt, that are getting such strong reviews, it's great to see. And I'm absolutely thrilled that he's come on today's episode and given me such a great interview, so thanks very much for that. As always, I really appreciate all the support you give to Mark and Me. The best way is to go on markandme.com. On there, there's links to my Twitter, my Instagram, my email account, my Facebook, but also my Patreon. And more and more people are signing up to this all the time. And that gives me the chance to then travel around the country and do more and more interviews. 
and the episodes I've got coming up for the rest of the year are mostly face to face because of this support I've got so thank you very much for everyone that supports me and you can go on there and sign up for as little as sort of three pounds well I think it's even three dollars so it's like a couple of pounds and that really does make a huge difference and give me this chance to get more and more episodes done for all of you guys out there so it's win-win for everyone. In the meantime, I will have an episode out again in a couple of weeks' time, so all I ask you to do is let me know how you're enjoying this episode on my social media. Stay safe, and I'll speak to you all again in a couple of weeks' time.